All right, welcome back to the second episode of the Bruce Douglas podcast. I'm really excited today. I got a good friend of mine on here today. Got Tensai Campoon on here. Hey, hey, how you guys doing? Um, yeah, I'm really excited to have you. Uh, I'm glad that you decided to do this with me, man. This is awesome. Yeah, no, I really appreciate uh, you inviting me to. I mean, do this podcast. You know, a little, little nervous here, Bruce. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I'm excited. Good, good. Um, so yeah, let's. I'm ready to just jump in with a couple questions here, just to get us started. Uh, sure, man. So let's uh, let's go here. You were uh, you were in the uh, Navy, right? How long were you in the Navy for? I was in the Navy for six years, but yeah, that's correct. I was in the Navy six uh, years. Yeah, six years, man. Joined right after high school. Nice. Uh, it was the longest six years of my life. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now what made you want to go into uh, the Navy specifically? Um, that's a funny story. I actually didn't want to really join the Navy. I was actually going through uh, for the Marine Corps. Um, but the recruiter, a lot of people that were like, um, going through the uh, depth delayed entry program with me, um, they were like, "Yeah, I'm so excited to be a Navy SEAL," and I was like, oh, "This is the Marines, man! What are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah. <And> so, <laughs> I here I am like working out with all these guys and like running up and down Burnsville Hills, <clears throat> and uh, when they said that, I was like, Dude, "These guys are literally being recruited under like false premise." which is not a uh, no bueno. And so I went to the <laughs> Navy recruiting office and I told them and I was like, Hey, there's like a bunch of Marines. Like I'm trying <laughs> to be a Marine too, but like <laughs> they think they're going to be Navy SEALs. <laughs> I don't think that the Marines should be saying that. And, um, I guess it was a kind of a convoluted, like it's, uh, you know, if you have a background as, uh, in some, Basically, if you have a background in any special forces, it's easier to get into another special force. You still have to go through like their uh, training program or whatever, like buds for the seals or whatever. But that's what they were like saying was like, "Oh yeah, if you if you make it through force recon, you can become a seal." But they just thought they were going to be seals. <laughs> so uh, when I told the Navy, they like sent out the seal recruiter. Uh, and got them in trouble, and they got fired from their post. So I was like, yo, this is oh, awkward. You already, you're already so, causing yeah. trouble. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I'm not even in the Marine Corps. So <laughs> I was like, hey, what what do you guys uh, got going on here in the Navy? So that's uh, that's how I ended up in the Navy. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now take me through uh, kind of your six years. What were some of your uh, favorite times in the military? Man. I am a I am a person that likes to take things to the extreme and so my six years were I was running very very hard at everything and uh, so when I got in I made it six ranks in four and a half years so that was enough to retire uh, at if I just waited out my 20 mm. um, but I was on track to be E9 in about 12 years, Master Chief, um, but I did not want to be a Master Chief, and uh, 
it was a, uh, but it was, it was fun though. So, uh, there was a lot of schooling. I ended up, I originally wanted to be a nuke or a linguist in the Navy. Mm. Um, besides a seal, everyone wants to be a seal. And, uh, yeah. I could not get those because I couldn't get a top secret clearance or a, um, SCI compartmentalized clearance. Uh, and so, um, they were like, Hey, pick something else. And so I picked, uh, advanced electronic computer field. And, uh, then the Navy was like, Hey, you're going to be a fire controlman. Uh, and then when I say that people are like, Oh, you're a firefighter in the Navy. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not the case. Uh, fire controlmen are, uh, the guys that deal with the weapon systems on board battleships and stuff. Okay. So, uh, or warships, whatever you want to call them. They're not really battleships anymore, but so I went to school for a bunch of that. So I, my first, uh, job was the ship self-defense system. So I managed the, uh, combat systems network and servers for our missiles and radars, um, protecting everyone on the ship, uh, making sure if then statements or basically the, the actual hardware itself but uh, being being there and helping with uh, if-then statements like, if you detect a missile coming in at this speed, then deploy this, or if, whatever the case may be, right? So, um, and I can't dive too much into that, but uh, that's basically it. And then uh, my next job that were MOS, in the Navy it's called an NEC, um, but other branches it would be MOS's mm. jobs. So I went to another school for... Um, a weapons control radar so that's just uh it, it's uh it allowed me to communicate with other ships real-time data uh so that we could shoot down um threats mm. uh whatever the case might be and then after that i picked up uh i i worked with a lot of radars missile systems and stuff like that but then i ended up i wanted to go a different route and so I picked up uh, Sammy, small arms marksmanship instructor. So I, I dealt with uh, weapons. I taught people how to take guns apart, how to shoot them. Um, I was the range instructor or the range safety officer. Basically just made sure ranges were good to go, made sure there were no safety mishaps, taught people how to tactically move or shotguns. And then, um, yeah, I became a anti-terrorism like team lead i guess you would say mm. went through a couple other schools for like advanced tactics and then uh i was a uh, team lead for visit boarding search and seizure uh and i repaired and soldered circuit boards and other stuff but it was uh it was a wow. pretty packed packed thing so most people only get like one or two jobs i had five and uh so i was extremely busy all the time made rank pretty quick but some of the fun moments sorry i'm just keep going but no that's some of the good fun, some of the fun moments man uh deployment i went on two technically um one was to middle east area um a little more serious then because we were still going hard against ISIS and everything and so our marine unit that was attached to us our MU we had like the second US death 
against ISIS uh, that was attached to my battalion and stuff. But while we were out there, if we ever pulled into a port, um, it is it's tough because like they don't they don't really drink, uh, and so we're sailors and we've just been to sea for like ever. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, we pull in and like we're like, how do you get alcohol? Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you have to be in a hotel so we would like just get a hotel room and like just be sloshed and like um but yeah those are some of the funnest or more most fun moments i could think of is just being out to sea for so long and then pulling in and there's like a type of camaraderie there where you're just like screw it man when we ended up in abu dhabi i was like dude i'm gonna rent a ferrari and like whatever <laughs> so it was uh it was just really fun moments like that. Um, Israel diving in the Aqaba, uh, swimming in the middle of the ocean when we had a chance, mm. um, uh, para, paragliding in Azor Islands. Like, there's, wow. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff I did. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Would you say uh, swearing like a sailor is true to its phrase? Oh, yeah. And it was so hard to, it was so hard to quit. Um, I, and it's, it's so funny because you know me in high school, I was like, oh, what the flip flop or what, whatever, right? So yeah, I was never yeah. cursed. I was so straight edge. Then I joined the Navy and like no one took me serious, even if I knew what I was talking about. So mm-hmm. I literally just had to learn how to drop the F bomb in every other sentence. And then they were just like, oh, okay. <laughs> they'd get it. Wearing <laughs> so, yeah, like a sailor is very true. Um, and Sydney still has a. She's still active, but she has a tough time <laughs> not doing that. And I'm like, stop, we have rain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, I, I, since you took me through some of your uh, fun times, your favorite times, I'm kinda, I am kind of want to hear some of your worst times that you just kind of didn't like or just kind of felt were terrible. This is my personal opinion, but the military is not an altruistic uh, one team, one fight. Um, mm. it, it was tough. I was like clutch for my team for what I did. Um, but it became very burdening. Uh, and so some of the toughest times is just because I was qualified in uh, every weapon that I shot, I was on, uh, you can't, you can't stand a, a watch, uh, like a security watch with a specific weapon unless you actually qualify to have that weapon. And so there would be certain watches that required long arm or, you know, all that stuff. And so I would literally just be on watch like 18 hours a day. And so like in the Middle East, like me walking around on a flight deck with like an M16, a full vest, and like my M9 and everything else, like all my gear with plates and everything, I'm like, Oh God, it's like 120 <laughs> degrees. So that was like, and it would just be like, so if, if I'm out there for that long, it would be five hours straight of me walking around. Mm. And then I would go inside, drink, I'd be drenched in sweat, drink as much water as I can, um, eat some food, and then go back out there for like another five. Wow. And yeah, so it, that that is... Uh, not fun or being so close to home but not being able to go home i guess yeah so a lot of training missions we're in the navy so we have to 
you know, we're on a ship. And so training missions took place out in the water, but we would be off the coast of Virginia Beach and we could see Virginia Beach. Mm. Um, and so <laughs> I'd be like, oh, God, it's probably like 10 miles swim. <laughs> I just do it. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> That's yeah, those I guess those are some of the worst times, I would say. I mean, there's, a, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of bad times and a lot of good times. But yeah. I would say some of those are times that I don't want to ever replicate ever again. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever feel like uh, isolated? You know, like being out on ship and. Dude, a hundred percent, man. Yeah, that's a good question too. Isolation, depression, anxiety, and you know, it's it's very prevalent in the Navy itself. Um, so I guess. I, I'll touch on it just a little bit. Um, just, it's not like I'm, I'm affected by it, but I'm not uh, as affected as other people would be. But there mm. have been a lot of, there have been a lot of uh, uh, shipmates or service members that have uh, killed themselves mm. uh, due to pressure, and so um, isolation is a, a very it's it's very depressing man you're in a metal box in the middle of the ocean and you have everyday problems that you have to deal with also Mm -hmm. right so like if people don't have like their relationships uh figured out uh long distance or um even if they were there or home it just becomes really tough because uh you you're one you're trying to resolve something and then you're like you know what uh, I want to finish this, but I have to be gone for the next month. So let's resume this whenever we return. And so, like, people are, like, divorced all the time. Um, people are just super depressed. And it was crazy, man. Like, I can't I can't even imagine some of their last thoughts. Like, some of them were really close. And, like, we hung out all the time. And, like, the way that they chose mm-hmm. to go is just, like, that's just wild to me man and i'm sorry so yeah Yeah. isolation is big and uh in the military i think the navy has some of the highest suicide rates so uh i think the being away and being so close is a like if it's deployment it's one thing i feel like people are like oh you know i can't really do anything about it yeah but like what i just explained is they could probably see their house off the coast Mm-hmm uh, and they're doing a military training exercise and they're not going to be home for another month, but they were just in an argument with their wife or their husband. So, mm. And do you think uh, the military kind of has like this macho-ness to it to where you can't really talk about your problems like that without being scrutinized, basically? Dude, again, hitting the nail on the head. This is something that I fought so much. That's another reason why like these six years just felt so long for me. Mm. So um, it was so tough because... Uh, I was already like a hard charger, like I said, and with all the jobs that I had and everything, I'm throughout the week um, at the lowest point or the highest point. I have no idea what, what basically when I was working, I was working about 115 hours a week uh, for almost an entire year, I'd say. And so I was like a zombie, man. Every week I knew that I had to stay up for a minimum of 40 hours at least one time. So um, I would not 
that was like a Wednesday and Thursday, I would be on watch until Friday uh, at some point, like after work, and then I would crash. I fell asleep driving, like, oh, wow. <laughs> and stuff. Like, it was, it's just crazy, wild stuff. But I would say that uh, the macho-ness, uh, like you were saying, though, is, uh, is very prevalent, man. Mm. Um, because they immediately are like, even though I was doing all this, there are people that they they couldn't handle their two jobs that they got or their one job, mm. and so it would not be it was it was a battle that I was trying to fight because they would use me as an example. Like, look at him, he can do it, mm. and uh, it would be unfair, right? I, I and I can't really explain that because I'd be like, look, my my life has kind of prep me for extreme situations and that's also my personality yeah i i think it's very unfair for you to compare or say but they would do that all the time and then if you spoke up about hey i'm feeling depressed they would literally like send you fifth floor portsmouth so in virginia there's a hospital portsmouth naval hospital and the fifth floor is like the psych ward uh and they would send you there and um they would, in 30 minutes, diagnose you with something crazy. And then, like, you'd be removed from the military. Oh, wow. And so there have been people like, I have a friend who he was dealing with also racism and stuff. Um, and he found, like, nooses and whatnot in his uh, rack. And they just, you know, like, go back to, like, notes saying, like, go back to Pakistan or something like that. Dude's Indian, right? Not even from Pakistan or whatever. But, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. it was just, it was just wild that he was dealing with that. And so we brought it up and they were like, okay, go to medical. And so he went to medical and they were like, yeah, it seems like you can't adjust to the Navy. And so they like kicked him out like in less than a month. Wow. And he was like so close to his two year mark, which would have granted him uh, a bunch of uh, benefits. Like he had been in the, if he was in the military for at least two years, then he would have gotten a hundred percent of his, um, the GI bill that he put into. Uh, so he could have went to school and it would have been paid for. But because they cut him out at like a, uh, one year, 11 months and like 20 days, uh, he only gets like 50% of it or something. Wow. So it's wild. So yeah, wow. there's like people want to speak up, but when they do, they're usually um, there's a whole dilemma around that. So yeah, that's that's pretty unfortunate, though, to that that's kind of yeah. going on, you know. Yeah. Um, so what was your kind of your biggest takeaway after leaving? Dude, relief. Mm. <laughs> yeah. When I got out, I was so relieved. I was like, oh, yes. I can move forward. I can. Like, I just felt also, uh, and this may seem weird because I, you know, not a lot of people, Shakopee. Minnesota is like a home to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the first time that I actually got to relax in my life. And so like before all that, um, it was crazy, hectic. I moved around the country and all kinds of stuff. So when I fir- finally got there, I uh, felt like I made a lot of great friends, uh, which I did. But then I had to leave I left for the military and then the next six years were just 
crazy. So when I left, I was like, oh, man, I cannot wait to be back home in Minnesota. And then uh, uh, other events took place. Um, Sydney got orders. Uh, she didn't get out of the military, and she got, ended up getting orders to Ohio. And so even now I'm just like, oh, Minnesota's home. So, But I, I'm relieved and super, super happy to be free. But I also gave it a hundred percent. So there's like no, no way that I would regret what I did or Mm -hmm. anything like that. I wanted to make sure that I did everything that I said I would in the military. And I did. My great grandfather was in the Navy, fought in World War II, and he made it to that rank, uh, E6, and he retired. He was a, he was a fireman. So his rank was a fireman first class so he was a f1c and because of my job and title i was a fire controlman first class so i was an fc1 Hmm. so it was pretty cool nice yeah uh so what what advice would you give to people who are kind of thinking about going into the military but are just kind of unsure just don't know really what branch to go to look i think that the military does it definitely it definitely plays a role uh, and it's not to say that, you know, no one should join the military, uh, but I would say that uh, they they really make it seem like whatever you're going to do, like you say if you're prideful towards whatever it may be, um, like admin work or uh, you want to be a SEAL, whatever the case may be, mm. I want people to really understand that um, – we had a saying in the Navy uh, that made more sense the more you were in, but it's called choose your rate, choose your fate. And uh, your rating is your, basically your MOS, your like specific job that you were doing. So again, mine was the fire controlman rate. Um, you're not paid based off of what you do. You're paid based off your rank. So okay. um, you could literally be stocking vending machines and be the same rank as me and you're getting paid. But I'm like dealing with missiles and like servers and whatnot, and I'm like stressed out. <laughs> so uh, my advice is be smart about it and um, know your limits. And that's in life in general. But like, mm. pace yourself. Know your limits. Pace yourself, because the Navy, or not even the Navy, just the military in general is. Um, it doesn't. It's like a a black hole of take. And you cannot give enough. And there will always be another job the next day. There will always be a tasking the next day. There will be a mission the next day. Mm. You can never not have a mission. And so um, it could be the stupidest thing. The mission of the day could be like, you're going to fix rust on this ship and then sweep rain. Like if we had nothing to do, that made me sweep rain in the rain. And I was like, (laughs) this is endless and they're like that's the point man we just want you to just be out here so (laughs) wow yeah um so now you met your your wife sydney in the navy is that correct that's correct yep nice We we met on the same ship um she was actually not technically a part of my ship she was uh called tad it's like a temporary attached like Mm. personnel um she just came out to help I guess and I was like yo you're pretty cute and then uh, 
<laughs> that was your pickup uh, line right there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I thought, man. And then when I started talking to her, um, this is also just a funny story because I, <laughs> I, I have to share this actually. Okay, so uh, when I first met Sydney, I didn't even meet her yet. I just saw her and I was like, oh, yeah, she's pretty cute. That's what I was thinking. Not my pickup line, but I went to talk to other people that were working. Uh, she works in admin. And so I went and talked to people in admin. I was like, hey, what's up with the new girl? I'm like, don't even try, Campoon. She's in a tall <laughs> black suit. That I was is like, so classic. <laughs> yeah, don't even try, Campoon. <laughs> and I was like, what? All right. I'm definitely not a tall black dude so i thought that was like really funny because that's what they said don't even try she's into tall black dudes and uh i i left her alone i didn't even bother i just took their word for it you know i built some trust with them so i was like yeah i'll trust it so uh then one day we were on watch together um she could not carry weapons but i could carry weapons so we were on watch and i was like trying to talk to her while still maintaining like my position and was like she was so oblivious to like everything and so in that moment she can attest to this i was just like i was like i don't know if you're like i actually use this word i know it's not the best word but i was like are you retarded are you naive like this is like (laughs) literally what i are you retarded are you naive like i have no idea but I just can't, I can't deal with this right now, okay? <laughs> I was like, just just stand over there, like, and uh, <laughs> I was like, I didn't even talk to her for, like, another, like, seven months, and then one day, like, it was on Facebook, it popped up as, like, people you may know, um, and so I, I was like, Sydney Boyd, so, like, I messaged her, I, I like, added her as a friend, but I messaged her, I was like, is your first name actually Sydney? And she was like, uh, that's like the first thing I ever said to her. She was like, yeah, why? I was like, I don't know. I just thought that I'd take you for like an Ashley or something basic. But I was like, (laughs) and then after that, we started talking more. And then she started like stalking me. And then uh, I was like, hey, do you want to go on a date? And then we went on a date and the rest is history. So nice. nice. Yeah. But it was a pretty funny like over a year of uh me questioning like <laughs> person like i actually asked that so she thinks it's funny uh, uh, when i look at her now i'm like are you retarded or are you like naive like i have no idea that kills me yeah it's <laughs> the perfect story yeah <laughs> um so you guys have a kid now how, how he's almost three in october he'll be three Yep. Nice. He's wild, man. His yeah. name's Rain. Um, man, I don't even know where to start with that dude. He's so wild. <laughs> he's he's awesome though. But yeah. Well, uh, take me through what what are what things have uh, changed after becoming a father. Some things that changed uh, after becoming a father. Um, dude, um, uh, time for myself definitely change but i would say that's pretty much the the biggest thing uh time for myself because he is always with me Mm. always like right now i hear him in the background he's like trying to get in here and uh (laughs) sydney's preventing that so (laughs) he is uh he is always with me and we're always together so 
uh, it is that's the biggest change I would say is being being a father being a dad is just uh, your time becomes more valuable time is the most valuable thing in life but Mm -hmm. it just becomes more valuable because um, or me time or self time yeah uh, that's the most valuable thing now I'm like Ray please please leave me alone real quick (laughs) Uh, what do you find most enjoyable about being a parent you know there's a lot of rewards uh, for being a parent and um, man I don't I don't even know how to really sum that up because it's it's cool because uh, maybe you know some people when I talk to them they're like man you got the wrong approach right you're a first time parent like yeah you'll learn after the first one because you don't want them to have mobility and so (laughs) here here i am like make like i want him to be as independent as possible already Mm -hmm. and so um it's really rewarding seeing him just grow and he grows at a very exponential rate that is you know i'm happy to keep up with but yeah he's like he can count to 20 already, knows his ABCs, can identify that, identify numbers. He's got his colors down, jam-packed. I'm working on balance right now with a balance bike. Probably put him in martial arts soon. But I'm just trying to run with him uh, and whatever. And I and I really pick, right, I want him to do whatever he wants, but I'm picking yeah. martial arts because it's uh, disciplinary. And so mm-hmm. uh, that's a lateral, laterally across the board, he can apply discipline and success principles to whatever he wants to choose so and he can defend himself in the future definitely i I 100 percent agree i feel like all parents should have their kids take some form of martial arts because it is so important to be able to defend yourself and just to know those kinds of things and discipline is the big thing that comes with that so yeah and i think um i think bjj is the route that i want to go with him uh but yeah the reward i think i think it's just it's really hard to sum up all the the feelings of the rewards that um, of being a father or a parent in general. Yeah, um, he's growing at a great rate, and he's I'm just trying to teach him some core values and stuff that uh, will be his guiding principle. So no matter what situation, a peer pressure, or whatever the case may be, he can make a choice for himself. Critically think. Mm. He's still super young, but you know gotta just keep at it yeah yeah speaking of core values uh share with me some of your core values i have a quite a bit of core values um but i think that it is important to have core values Mm -hmm. uh i think it's important to have faith um i'm not super religious like i just mean faith and whatever it can be religion if you want um just i don't know how to even explain that really but believe in whatever uh it may be and just know that there are going to be points in time where mathematically it is improbable so have faith in the impossible because it can become possible. Um, and then um, service, really just serving, helping others, um, unity, having honor, 
freedom is a big one, right? In America, mm-hmm. especially, I believe that freedom should not be taken lightly. It is a, a core value that I want Rain to really understand is that um, there are a lot of things that you can do if you just focus or just be appreciative of freedom. But mm-hmm. appreciation and gratitude is also one that I would say having a big vision, no matter what, always having a vision. And uh, I don't know the exact quote from Bruce Lee, but it was, uh, it's something about, um, you're never, you're never at the top. It's, it's just a plateau. You can always keep climbing. Right. And so mm-hmm. having that vision to always keep going and always, uh, there, you know, people, people say that humans are imperfect beings. And so that's a, and they, that's a great thing in my mind, because if you're imperfect, then that means that you would never be perfect, which always means that you can infinitely grow in some capacity. Mm. And so that infinite potential is just amazing to me. And then, uh, having a sense of, I guess, like duty to people around you, to a community, to whatever, like not just treating it as like, I get to do this. Like, you have to do this mm. because if you don't, um, you know, freedoms or things like that will be lost in translation. Or uh, there's a, also another saying, I have no idea where this comes, like who said this or where it comes from, but it's the saying of um, during hard times, it makes warriors, but during peaceful times, it makes weak men. And so mm-hmm. um, I, that's why I think that having duty is very important, having the courage to stand up for what's right, uh, no matter what, right? And in the military, in the Navy, uh, it was, you don't rise, like, you don't rise to become a hero, you fall to your training. So mm-hmm. you always have to keep training. And so having the courage to just stand up for right, what's right uh, is that, it's like, yes, you're falling back on a core value, but you still have the ability to stand up in that moment, whatever it may be. And then uh, having patience, kindness, um, core values in the Navy are still great though. Honor, courage, commitment, that just means integrity. Mm. So, mm-hmm. integrity. Forgiving, having forgiveness for yourself and others. Uh, you know, and, and that's a tough one also for me because I would say that there's a lot of things that happen in my life where, you know, I can forgive, but I won't forget. And that also doesn't mean that I will automatically trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can have forgiveness. Love, always having growth, development in yourself and try and help others do that. Respect. Uh, that's pretty much, wow. I mean... Listening to people and, and balancing all that, I would say, balance. Wow. Yeah, those yeah. are some really solid core values. Anyone who's listening, if you have not figured out your core values, play that back and listen to some of those, and you really need to adapt and take some of those in because those will really help you grow in your life. Um, yeah, that was really good. Uh, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> going back to parenthood. What's some advice you could give to upcoming parents who are just kind of 
have no idea what to do. Oh, you are more than enough uh, to take care of another person. Um, you may not have everything figured out, and that's okay. Because not everyone has everything figured out. I mean, by this point, I'm sure if you're having a kid, uh, you probably also realize that adults have it not figured out, mm. right? Yeah. yeah. You grow up thinking adults have it figured out, but they don't. And uh, <laughs> so, true. So, <laughs> so true. So I would just say you're more than enough um, and you can do it. And this is actually also a really um, tough one, but uh, just talking about postpartum depression and stuff, right? Sydney mm-hmm. had that as severe postpartum depression. You know, I'm not going to get too much into her story, but uh, basically it got severe enough to the point where I, I was extremely worried um, for Rain and myself. She's a lot better now, and she's an amazing mom. Mm-hmm. And um, they have an awesome bond and everything. But for the first year, year and a half of Rain's life, I was a, like sole parent provider, uh, so I was, I was just there for Rain nonstop, mm. and so it really helped uh, the Navy. I guess one benefit of the Navy is um, my insomnia and not sleeping. I could just be up with Rain forever, mm. essentially, and yeah. then I just go to work, and then uh, <laughs> um, put him in daycare. I'd go to work super early. And then come back and pick him up. So he was there for like, it seemed like a half day for him. But like, I was already done by like noon. Or Yeah. Yeah. Do you but think yeah, you that, could uh, touch more base about that postpartum depression? Because I feel like that's something not a lot of guys even really understand what women but, go through. And Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, you know, postpartum depression is very real. I'd say that's the first thing. Uh, there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, even when I was in the doctor's office, um, they just thought it was like baby blues or these other words that are used. Um, mm. And there is a chemical imbalance that happens after, um, you know, the mother gives birth because uh, it, they're, you're trying to get back into homeostasis, or they are, right? And so mm-hmm. um, that chemical imbalance may not correct itself uh, naturally. So there, I would say if you're feeling some type of way or if your spouse is, right, um, definitely have her go to a doctor and check it out because uh, you guys may be fighting over some of the stupidest stuff. And it won't make sense, right? And, and I'm not going to say, like, most guys are logical, but you're not going through this chemical imbalance. So you're like, dude, what is going on? Like, mm. literally, <laughs> nothing is making any sense. And they'll be happy, crying, angry, whatever, in, like, five minutes. And uh, they could be crying over some simple things and um, having attachment issues, uh, because they, while they're pregnant and while they're going through all of this, they will have an attachment that's super close and they'll think, they'll think, I don't know how to put it any other way, like Disney World or Disney 
uh, like perfect. Everything's going to be perfect. Mm. And then when it doesn't, uh, this is a, um, man, I forgot the word for it. When the expectation does not meet reality uh, and mixed with the postpartum depression, the imbalance, it becomes chaotic. And so uh, for guys out there, um, trust me, we went through a lot of tests in our relationship, uh, but you can overcome. Um, just know that it, it might not just be like a simple conversation. It might be like a doctor or therapist or whatever intervening. Uh, and, you know, there, there could be medication, antidepressants, SRIs or things mm. like that involved. So uh, there, there should be no shame against that. Um, mental health is a very serious thing. And postpartum is a uh, very serious, uh, I, I won't, won't call it disease. I'm not sure what to call it, but um, it's a very serious thing and it should be taken very seriously. Mm. Uh, and with the aspect of the, the values of listening, make sure you're listening to understand and not to reply. People all the time say, yeah, I heard what they said, whoever, you know, guy or girl. Um, but you're just listening just to reply back immediately. So you should be listening to understand. And that's where, when I was listening to Sydney, I was like, look, this makes no sense. And I'm going to need a doctor because I have, I have no idea where to go from here. Mm. I mean, that's, that's all I, is there anything else that you really wanted me to touch on with postpartum? I'm not entirely sure. No, I feel like that's it's a pretty good description. I, I something I've you know haven't experienced or known. I just know that it's very misunderstood and not a lot of people really know about it or can even understand what it is. Really, yeah, um, uh, yeah. I mean, it's tough because now, like, to give an example of how severe it was, Sydney cannot remember uh, rain a year and back. So she doesn't really remember like him walking or me teaching him or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like unless I show her pictures and she can kind of like remember, mm-hmm. but it basically a year and a half of her mind has been like white, wow. which is like crazy. Yeah. But yeah. I'm going to take things kind of in a different direction here. Um, kind of want to talk about like your childhood. Um, okay. Cause you know, you're a very smart person and you know, um, I kind of want to know more about how your childhood went and how you kind of your parents were with you and yeah um i i would try and keep it concise my childhood is uh very fairly lengthy and um not a lot of people know i mean you know a little bit because Mm -hmm. we were like really good friends but like not a lot of friends not a lot of people in shakopee or uh in general uh have any idea of my life i was like a straight jokester in school and uh <laughs> even even now right but yeah um i was born in mobile alabama uh we stayed there for a little bit and then we ended up moving to california uh slow county san luis Obispo. um my brother was born out in fresno uh we're about a year and a half two years apart and so um after that, we ended up moving to Minnesota. Uh, my family moved around a lot. Um, everyone in my family was born 
overseas and in Laos or Thailand. Mm. Well, officially Thailand, and I say that, um, I can touch on that a little bit, but officially Thailand. Uh, and then, uh, except for one of my aunts, she was born in New York, whenever they moved here. And then, uh, so when we moved to Minnesota, I have a very strong memory and I was fairly intelligent, I'd say from the get go. Um, first memory is like three years old, woke up super skeptical. I think I was like perfect for the military because I immediately was looking for like escape routes and didn't know where I was at. And I was a little confused. And so mm -hmm. the whole infantile amnesia thing freaked me out because I was like, where am I? Who am I? What is going on? Mm -hmm. And so it's like weird to have those types of thoughts. It's uh, atypical when I talk to like therapists and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, they're just like, yeah. Uh, so because of that, when I first met my mom, I was unsure if she was my mom. Um, and so when I asked her, what's her name? She said, I'm your mom, silly. You know that. I was like, no, what's your name? I literally called my mom by her first name until I was like 10 years old. And my dad by his first name until I was like 10. Until they're like, we are your parents, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I bet, right? Yeah, yeah. And like watching watching the Terminator movie freaked me out even more because I was like, well, if they're robots, uh, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, that was, uh, I was like three or four by the time, uh, yeah, three years old in Minnesota. And I moved around in Minnesota quite a bit. Um, I was in the most northern part of Minnesota, Hockey Town, USA, War Road, Minnesota. I uh, grew up there living very off the grid uh and that was with my actually with my grandma and my grandpa and they were used to it because they grew up in uh, laos and stuff and mm. so uh that's i'm just used to it also like i just thought it was normal for people to just eat bugs and whatever right yeah, so yeah. <laughs> i was like i was like whatever we're gonna go catch june beetles and so yeah uh, there's asparagus next to the train tracks just make sure i don't get hit so yeah. uh yeah wild stuff and um eventually i ended up going back to uh living with my mom and my dad in sartell minnesota and i got accepted into like a gifted school or whatever um a Lincoln Elementary School um, and I but I like almost failed kindergarten so uh, they're like your kid's stupid <laughs> and so I thought it was really funny because I was just so confused like when they dropped me off I didn't know they didn't tell me anything about school they my parents literally just dropped me off and they're like all right we'll see you later yeah and I was like okay and I didn't know why I was there I and it was mainly because my first language was Lao. Mm. And so I was speaking Laos and uh, I didn't know English at all. And so I almost failed kindergarten. And they then my mom explained, oh, he only speaks Lao or Thai. And so uh, they were like, oh, okay, we'll bring in a, a we'll, we'll have him take an aptitude test. And if he passes, he can pass the grade. Uh, but we'll need a translator here. And so I took this aptitude test and then they're like, okay, you're going to skip to the fourth grade. So I skipped to the fourth grade in Lincoln in Sartell, Minnesota. And then here I am short stuff, five years old, getting wrecked, dude. I got bullied so much 
And wow. I would always be like, yo, I, I want to learn martial arts. And um, it was not happening, right? We couldn't afford it. We couldn't do any of that stuff. So I just constantly got beat up for an entire year. And then I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I am over it. And so uh, unfortunately, during that time also, though, my parents were getting a divorce now by this time. Mm. A year had passed. So now I'm like uh, six going on seven. And uh, because they were going through the divorce, we were going to go back to Alabama and uh, go back to Alabama. In the midst of that, I ended up drowning and being resuscitated. So that was like the first time I had a near-death experience. Wow. really made me uh, just realize like, oh, dude, just because I'm a little kid doesn't mean that I can't just die. And so <laughs> there was like a whole other – I had a whole flashback, life flash before me. Mm. Uh, it made me, even though I was only seven, it, made, I, it last. It seemed like it lasted like hours and hours. Wow. And I was only gone for like 15, 20 seconds or something. And um, it, I, I remembered any happy moment. There was like no, uh, it was such a feeling of bliss. It was, I, it's hard to describe. Mm. Um, but I could remember like any, even moments where before the bully, like, would, like the uh, bully would beat me up. I would like make him laugh, like try and get him like, like a joke or something make him mm. feel better maybe he'd not beat me up and then that smile i was like yeah i didn't make him laugh because i got beat like beat up so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how i was feeling but yeah we go down divorce happens uh well before it happened this is also some crazy stuff right this is a kind of showcase uh how psycho my parents are i have i'm not very close with either of my parents mm. um before the divorce is like finalized like my mom was like hey we should go uh we should go watch the blue angels fly in pensacola beach florida one last time as a family and then i my i saw my dad get run over by my mom and i thought he was dead and i was like <laughs> wow i was like dude this is crazy so like i'm like trying to buckle my brothers in uh to make sure because she takes us on like on incoming oncoming traffic or whatever wrecks a car gets arrested we go we go to cps for a bit they're like yeah you're gonna go to foster care and i was like dude this is nuts right and they're mm-hmm. like well you were gonna go to your dad you know with the divorce but he's in critical condition and then they moved the court case to alabama because we're from alabama and even though it happened like in the panhandle of florida and then uh the charges were dropped so they're like well you're going to go to the next viable parent. I was like, okay, yeah, but does that make sense? Like my mom ran my dad over and they're like, well, that's how, that's how the court systems work, buddy. And, uh, <laughs> ended up going with my mom and that was, uh, my mom was dealing with her own demons, uh, hated every little bit of my dad because he was my dad. And then my dad hated every little bit of my mom cause it was my mom. Mm-hmm. And so it sucked because, we are half of both of them. However, uh, and, and I wanted to say this for other people. Sorry, we're, we're, I don't know how long your podcast is supposed to go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a, definitely has gone a little longer, but you know, that's okay. I think we'll uh, continue with what you're saying and then we'll kind of wrap it up a little bit here. All right. Yeah. Sorry about that. No man. worries. I'm having, a, I'm having a blast. I wish it. we could go like two more hours longer. But, you <laughs> yeah, <know. laughs> dude. Um, so uh, my mom, basically uh 
to, to people that have kids and they're going through divorce and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, try and have an approach that is more um, understanding. The kid is, every time you say like, uh, oh, like your mom is stupid or whatever the case is, the mm-hmm. kid is really receiving it as like you're stupid because you're half of the mom and you're half of the dad. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in my case, it, they took it to the extreme. It wasn't, it was like, you're, you're effing campoon. Like my mom would say that, right? I was mm-hmm. like, of course, right? And then my dad would be like, you're McGallagher. And I was like, all right, you guys need to chill out, okay? I get it. And so <laughs> uh, it was tough. And um, my mom going through her demons and stuff, I would get beat almost every day uh, for some of the stupidest stuff. And so I actually have a language, like a, a block, a memory block on um, the Lao language. I, Even though it was my first language, I immediately tense up, lock up, whatever you may like I can hear people speak and mm. I can kind of understand what's going on, but I won't say anything. Yeah. I feel like I can't say anything. Like, I don't mm. know. And it would always be every time I would speak that she would beat me and say, I never want to hear that devilish language again. Uh, you're American. Like I literally was forced to go to church, some Westboro stuff in wow. Alabama. And I was like, dude, this is nuts. Okay. I'm not about this. This is crazy. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, it was just wild growing up. Uh, dealing with my mom and then finally when I moved to Minnesota uh, my dad won custody uh, and he lived in Minnesota went to Minnesota my dad was also not in the best um, spot I had this idea expectation again right of my dad Mm -hmm. and then I met reality reality is is after his back was broken um, uh, he was on a TENS unit and a bunch of like um like uh, opioids and stuff like mm. that for basically he got addicted to taking his pain meds and uh, alcohol and stuff to what started out as numbing the pain to numbing everything feelings and whatnot and then I was like dude I can't I can't do this and I was I was legit ready to just uh, be homeless man and then my aunt was like um, do you want to come to Shakopee I was like yeah, sure I'll go anywhere I'll like sleep in a freaking park right now. And so <laughs> when I went to Shakopee, it was my first time that I got to chill out and like make friends. Yeah. And so that is uh, a very short, brief moment. There's a lot of things that happen in between also. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, main man. reason I kind of wanted to know about like your parents is because you seem to be very there for rain. Do you yeah. think that what you experienced with your parents is why you kind of want to be there for them so much, you know? Yeah, yes and no. I would say, um, yeah. I actually, I would say, yeah, not just no. Uh, it would be the example of um, you could have someone who, like, there. there is also, like, my brother is not in the best position right now. Mm. Uh, and his excuse is, um, look at how I grew up. Mm. Like, I learned from them. And then my reasoning is also, rather than being an excuse be a reason uh and it's yeah i grew up in that life also but i learned also i learned from them Mm -hmm. i learned what not to do Mm -hmm. and so he learned what to do i learned what not to do so yeah yeah that's that's uh really big so i feel like you know it really depends on what you take from it that kind of dictates the rest of your life um 
but yeah I, I think dude this was awesome i think we should probably wrap it up because it's <laughs> i don't know yeah. how many people will, will listen to a whole hour but you know <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. really good to to talk and listen to um kind of hear more about what you've been through and it just goes to show you that you know what you know of somebody you don't really know exactly what they go go through or what they've been through and really uh kind of the struggles that they've gone through and you know um yeah man and that you know i just yeah i don't know how many people listen to an hour but you know if you did make it all the way through the hour like i appreciate you guys um listening and um you know this was really great i and i thank you also bruce for letting me come on here and share uh to your audience uh, on your podcast and stuff man of course I'm, I'm really happy to have you is there any uh last uh words of wisdom you could leave with some some people here yeah man um this is the youngest you'll ever be but the oldest you've ever been so really live in the moment uh and just understand that you can't just look back that would be like driving forward and looking in your rear view mirror you're just gonna crash mm. you wow. gotta you gotta still look to the future uh have hope but really be appreciative of this moment wow. this is the youngest you ever be the oldest you've ever been i've never heard that before that is awesome i love that yeah awesome thanks man dude well thank you again brother i really appreciate it yeah